It is. Jude verse 17 is where we will begin our reading and then read through verse 23. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves sensual, having not the Spirit. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some have compassion, making a difference, and others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. Within verses 20 and 21, Jude, as we have discovered previously, he contrasts the difference between those who live their lives in the power of the Holy Spirit with those who do not have the Spirit, as Jude mentions in verses 17 through 19, going back again. But, beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lusts. These be they who separate themselves, sensual, having not the Spirit. Jude followed this reminder of those who do not have the Spirit of God with the exhortation for all believers to edify one another in the power of God's Spirit. Verse 20, But ye, beloved, building up yourselves on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost. So Jude explains that the lives and actions of those who are dependent upon the Holy Spirit are opposite of those who walk according to their flesh, having not the Spirit. Jude further exhorts the believers to watch themselves, that they maintain God's love among themselves, and to continue to look to the mercy of God as provided in Christ, by which we will receive eternal life. Verse 21, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. As I mentioned to you, the verb keep used in this verse means observe. And Spence Jones commented, the soul's one asylum and retreat is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. So this is our our hope, this is our confidence, this is our comfort, our retreat. Within these two verses, um, Jude, that is verses 23 or I'm sorry, 22 and 23, which we'll be looking at tonight, Jude emphasizes within these two verses the responsibility of every believer while contending for the faith. While the message remains the same, there are two different manners mentioned by Jude in which we are to address those who are in unbelief. Now, while unbelief is unbelief, we recognize that. There's no middle ground. You are either in unbelief or you are in belief. You're either a believer or you're an unbeliever. There's just no, there's no in-between in this. So unbelief is unbelief. However, we see something defined by Jude here in which we are to have discernment in how we are to deal with men in unbelief. Unbelief is unbelief, and a man who's in unbelief is in unbelief. But there are different manifestations of unbelief, and people may find themselves in, in different uh, stages, if you will, of unbelief, if I could use that term, or depths of unbelief. And so we are needed to have discernment concerning and how we are to deal with them, how we are to evangelize them even. In the book of Acts, when at, at Mars Hill, Paul was preaching Jesus to the pagan Greeks, and he did so by addressing, if you recall, the altar Uh, that had been constructed for the unknown God. As Paul proclaimed the resurrected Jesus, 
There were only two responses to the gospel which he proclaimed, yet there are three declarations that are made concerning the gospel. There are not three responses. There's two responses, but yet three manifestations total, two of being uh, two uh, manifestations of one response and one manifestation of the, of the other response. So in Acts 17, verses 22 through 24, this is what we read. Then Paul stood in the midst of Mars Hill and said, Ye men of Athens, I perceive that in all things ye are too superstitious. For as I passed by and beheld your devotions, I found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God, whom therefore ye ignorantly worship, him declare I unto you. God, that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwelleth not in temples made with, men, with hands, neither is worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. And hath made of one blood all nations of men, for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and hath determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as certain also of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. For as much then as we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the Godhead is like unto gold or silver or stone, graven by art and man's device. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now commandeth all men everywhere to repent, because he hath appointed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness by that man whom he hath ordained, whereof he hath given assurance unto all men, in that he hath raised him from the dead. And when they heard the resurrection of the dead, some mocked, and others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from among them. Howbeit certain men clave unto him and believed, among the which was Dionysius, the Areopagite, and a woman named Damaris, and others with them. Now, the first two declarations are both rooted in unbelief. Go back, if you will, again and look with me uh, in verse 32. And when they heard of the resurrection, some mocked. That's the, first, that's the first manifestation here. Some mocked. And others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Now, that's not mockery. You have the mockery at first who are saying, well, that's impossible. This cannot be. And mocked this teaching of the resurrected Jesus. But then there were others who were actually saying, well, well, we'll hear this another time, or we want to hear more of this matter. Now, if you go back in previous verses of Acts 17, you'll find that Paul is dealing with these men that are very philosophical in nature. These are the Greeks. These are Greek scholars and philosophers, and they would gather here at this place, and they had these altars constructed, but they would also gather, they would, they would converse, and they would, they would, if you would, debate, and they would discuss all these things that they had heard and bring them to the table and then work through them. These were critically thinking individuals, and so they were always looking to hear and to learn and to glean and to grow in understanding and knowledge. And so that's when you read, we will hear thee again of this matter, this is not merely just a casual pushing off, but I believe it comes from the very source of their interest, which was already existent as previously stated in the, in the chapter. And so some mocked, others said, we will hear thee again of this matter. Now these are two different manifestations, but both of these declarations or statements are rooted in unbelief. The one says, they, the one mocks, that's unbelief. And the one says, we hear again of this matter later, that's still unbelief. 
They are saying, and by the way, interestingly enough, you will never find in Scripture it being recorded that Paul ever interacted with these same individuals again or that they ever heard again the gospel of the resurrected Lord. You don't find that. Now, maybe they did, maybe they didn't, but we don't see it recorded. So we don't know that they did. And yet they're saying, oh, we'll hear you again of this matter. We want to know more. But it was still this, this, this idea of not sensing the urgency at the moment to hear and to know and to at least weigh in the truth of what was stated. But then there's a third statement or declaration, and that is, certain men clave unto him and believed. So there's only two responses. Three statements or three manners in which the responses were given, but only two responses. The first response is unbelief, mocking, and then saying, oh, we'll hear later about this. But then the third was that they clave to Paul and believed, which of course is rooted in belief itself. Unbelief and belief were the only two responses. So while belief can be manifested in many ways, genuine belief, or while, I'm sorry, while unbelief can be manifested in many ways, genuine biblical belief, on the other hand, always bears the same unmistakable fruit. Notice these who believed, they clave to Paul. They had to know more. They had to, they had to hear more. They were, they were hungry for the truth. They believed this Jesus who had been resurrected. Therefore, there was a desire within them to learn more of him. Now, while the statements of unbelief were mockery and then, oh, we'll hear more of you, we don't know they ever heard again, like I said. So in one sense of the word, they were, in a sense, dismissing this, though that's really impossible, but they were dismissing it for the moment, at least saying, oh, well, we want to know more, however, whatever the case may be, not right now. But then you have these who believed, and they just clung to Paul. We, we want to know. We want to hear. We want to, want to be uh, uh, growing in the truth of what you are teaching. So from this account of Acts 17, we are reminded that there are some in unbelief who are cold and indifferent in that they mock the truth, while there are others who are in the same condition of unbelief, nonetheless. Yet, they have a curiosity about the truth while being in unbelief all the same. So why is this important? Why even bring up Acts 17? Well, Jude addresses in our text this evening, verses 22 and 23, the proper manner in which we are to deal with these two different manners in which unbelief is primarily demonstrated. Let's go back to Jude 22 and 23. And of some have compassion making a difference. And others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garments spotted by the flesh. So within these two verses, Jude addresses the same manifestations of unbelief of which Paul faced at Mars Hill. In the pulpit commentary, it quotes Gardiner saying, all souls are to be cared for, but not all by the same methods. Now, let me explain this to you here. There are times in which we are maybe broadcasting the gospel 
evangelistically, broadcasting the gospel. And it's not that we're dealing with one individual, let's say, but it, it is a, a broad cry of the gospel out to a people. Even when we are proclaiming the gospel and declaring Christ as he is revealed on Sunday mornings, Wednesday nights, Tuesday night, theology class, whatever it may be, myself, whenever we are doing this, or, or at, at, at set free ministry, as I am teaching these men or teaching here and proclaiming the truth of Christ, it is a broad it is a broadcast, if you will, of the gospel. And so I'm not dealing individually with people. I'm saying this is the gospel. Here it is. And Paul did that somewhat with those at Mars Hill. He's not necessarily speaking to them individually, but as a, as a whole, corporately talking to them and proclaiming Christ to them. And so while that is true not only of myself, but true of other pastors and preachers and teachers, and maybe even true of you who aren't necessarily Pastors, preachers, or teachers, but yet you may deal with larger groups in which you are declaring the goodness of God and the grace of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. So that is very much so possible. But then there are also moments in which we are dealing with people one-on-one. Now, I, I totally refute the commonly, in recent years, commonly stated practice of what is referred to as um, life evangelism or whatever, lifestyle evangelism or whatever, in the sense of saying, okay, I'm going to live my life a certain way and I hope that they see Jesus in me. No, that, that's not taught in Scripture. Remember, I've said to you, how dare we, a few weeks back on Sunday morning, I, I think it was, I made the statement to you and asked this, or made this, this somewhat of a rhetorical question, in stating or asking, saying, how dare we Proclaim a gospel in which we do not live. But on the flip side of the proverbial coin, how dare we live in the truth of a gospel that we don't proclaim? So it's not one or the other. And so this lifestyle evangelism mentality is, you know, you live your life and you just hope people see Jesus in you. Give me one example of that in Scripture. Paul didn't go into a city going, well, I'm just going to try to try to befriend these people and try to show love to these people and I hope they see Jesus in me. No, he went in saying, here's the gospel of Jesus Christ. But his life supported that which he spoke, that which he stated. And so, while there's this broadcast of the gospel in some cases, there's also this individual interaction and not to be confused with what is referred to as lifestyle evangelism. Here's what I'm saying. It's not we just befriend someone so we can proclaim the gospel to them. Now, sometimes it may that that's the way the Lord works in the whole situation. I'm not refuting that either. But that should not be our goal or plan to try to become friends with everybody so then we can maybe talk to them about the gospel. But at the same time, we are to have discernment not only when we proclaim the gospel, but how we proclaim the gospel. And Jude is giving us that here. Whenever he says in verse 22, and of some have passion making a difference what we have to understand is that we must exercise discernment when addressing unbelievers and it is important that we deal with people where they are that we have some understanding in other words i'll give you just a personal example that if i'm talking to someone outside of of the gathered body of christ if i'm talking to someone who i don't know that they're a believer or not and we begin to discuss and talk or meet, and then I begin to, maybe never met them before, but I begin to speak to them concerning the gospel or proclaim the gospel unto them. I, I am not going to 
proclaim the gospel in evangelistic manner in the same way to them that I'm going to teach you the truths of God's word, even in the terminology that I may use. Because I don't know where this person is, and I'm trying by, by working of God's spirit in me to exercise discernment to understand where they are by talking to them and asking them questions or speaking to them and then still giving them the same truth nonetheless but yet doing it in a fashion and manner in which I am communicating to them where they are, not trying to get them to be where I am, speaking concerning spiritual matters, because they may not even know the Lord. And so I'm wanting to communicate the truth of the gospel to them in a manner which they can comprehend and understand, and that is is able to be uh, uh, used by the Lord in that capacity. Again, I mean, as Paul said concerning speaking in the other languages in 1 Corinthians 14, where he speaks about, I'd rather speak, you know, few words that are understood than thousands that no one understands. Why? Because there's no benefit to it. So if we're speaking to people in a manner in which there's no understanding, what good is that? But if we're able to talk to them where they can understand, because we are exercising discernment of God's Spirit, then that is important. Now, that being said, we must recognize that there is no cookie-cutter method of evangelism. Whenever people are all over the map regarding their background and their spiritual ignorance and or understanding. You know, people talk about going to this scripture, this scripture, this scripture. There is no cookie cutter method here. There, we, are to be, we are to be, first of all, in submission, in fellowship to the Lord Jesus Christ. We are to have discernment of his spirit and exercise such discernment. And we are to be rooted and grounded in the truth in such a manner where it's not we've memorized bunch of scripture alone and it's not that we're following some man-made method abc one two three do this do that but to where we are allowing the spirit of god to use us as his ambassadors ambassadors of christ to proclaim his truth because we are already rooted and grounded in truth and therefore having discernment on how to address how to answer how to contend for the faith because remember that's what jude's talking about this entire letter is contending for the faith because of all of these wicked men and their perversion of the truth So this is of the utmost importance. Within this passage, Jude provides two examples of how we are to do this. How we are to evangelize. How we are to minister to those who are in unbelief. First, we see he identifies the curious unbeliever, if you will. Look at verse 22 again. And of some have compassion, making a difference. Now this verse, what it, what it means is, it, it infers in this passage, that we are to demonstrate compassion, we are to demonstrate mercy towards those who are wavering in doubt. So those who are doubting truth, I don't mean, we're not talking about just believers that are now doubting. No, I'm talking about people that do not know truth and they are in doubt about this. They're trying to, again, they're curious. They, they have a spiritual interest that is present, but yet they do not have a spiritual life that is there. And so God is obviously working in them to some degree to spark their spiritual interest. And so how do we deal with them? You know, how are we to, how are we to converse with them? In other words, I guess the question would be, to give you an example, if somebody's coming to you and asking you about, well, about the Lord, the manner in which God has sent his son and what all this means, and, you know, I want to know more about this Jesus who you are talking about, who you say you believe in and trust, you know, the answer to that is not, you're going to hell, right? I mean, that's not how you address that. That's not how you deal with this person. That's not, though that is true, the point is without Christ, all men will perish 
But that is not the manner in which we address this this specific individual at this time necessarily. Now, we don't withhold that truth from them, but the point is we to be answering their questions and pointing them to the answer, which is Jesus Christ, all the while. And so in this case, he says, and if some have compassion, making a difference. So this is talking about demonstrating mercy towards those who are wavering in doubt. And when dealing with those who show a spiritual interest, we are to be merciful towards them. And, and in the manner in which we are to interact with them regarding the gospel is to be in a compassionate and merciful manner. Again, not watering down truth. The message never changes. It's the manner in which we are conveying the truth of this message is what Jude is referring to here. And by the way, why would we not be merciful to those who question or those who doubt or those who are in unbelief when they are desiring to know more concerning this truth? Why would we not be merciful to them? Because we must never forget that at one time we were in the same bondage and the same spiritual blindness of unbelief. There was a time in which we were rejecting the truth, maybe not as mocking it, maybe so, maybe not, but yet still rejecting and in unbelief, the truth and in unbelief nonetheless. We were there. There was a time I was in spiritual blindness. There was a time I was in spiritual bondage. So why would I not desire to have compassion and mercy towards those who are in doubt, those who are in unbelief, but they are, they are, are wondering and questioning and wanting answers? Why would we dismiss them? Or why would, we, why would we beat them over the head, if you will, rather than answer their questions and point them to Christ? But then look at number two. There's another individual here mentioned, the obstinate unbeliever, if you will. And others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating him in the garment spotted by the flesh. Well, he's showing us a contrast here. Some have compassion making a difference. Those who are wavering in unbelief, we are to be merciful towards them in the sense of demonstrating that mercy and compassion that, again, God might use that in the truth that we proclaim to them in drawing them to Christ in the faith. But then the others say with fear. This is, this is in contrast to those in whom we show this mercy and compassion to. He, say, he says, others say with fear, pulling them out of the fire. And if you look at what this literally is speaking of, it's talking about snatching them. This, this says that there is some uh, a sense of urgency that is present, of course, but also, and by the way, let me, let me clarify something. This is still merciful. Anytime you are declaring the truth of the gospel to anyone, that is merciful. And that is loving if you're truly proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. But there are some we have to deal with in a more gentle manner, obviously, than others. Some need to hear the warning in just the most blunt and blatant manner possible. Say, look, here you are. This is the reality of where you are. And without Christ, you will perish. And that's just what it is. And there's some which need to hear just like that. And even even maybe in more personal and even harsher terms, if you will. While there are others who need to be approached and dealt with in a, such a gentle manner and merciful as they are questioning and answers are being provided and you're pointing them to Christ. And the gospel message is the same. Again, th- these are not different responses to the gospel or to the resurrected Christ as in Acts 17. These aren't different responses. They are different, different manifestations of the same response of unbelief. And so let us have discernment concerning this that we are able to minister appropriately. So while there are those who which, must, which we must handle gently with, the extensive, with extensive mercy, there are all, also those of whom we must deal with more intensely, if you will. There are those we must just 
approach in this abrupt and direct manner. And some require, that being said, a direct and blunt approach due to their desperate condition and wickedness. And there are times that we are to snatch out those who are waiting the fire of their impending destruction under the wrath of God. Now, we can't save anyone. That's not what's being implied here either, that we literally are saving them. No, but we understand the urgency and we understand that by discernment of the Spirit, where they are in this matter, and we are to address them directly and bluntly and, and straightforward as is possible. And while there are others, we still deal straightforward with them as just as much, but we do so in a more gentle manner with this merciful, extensive mercy that is being shown and demonstrated. So the point, again, is this. Evangelism is not quoting scripture alone evangelism is not having a book you pull out and go okay well i need to read this verse and that verse and ask this question answer this question no that's not evangelism evangelism is that you are a personal ambassador of jesus christ and you are to have discernment of the spirit and boldness in the gospel and also be patient and long-suffering with others There are those who need to be shot into the reality of their desperate condition. Many today are ignorant of the truth of their spiritually destitute state. That's just a reality. And these are different from those who are in doubt, meaning they're questioning or asking or, or have this interest that's present. The, there are those who mock the gospel, as there were those at Mars Hill who mocked the resurrection, while there are also others who are saying, we need to know more about this. Let me ask you just a very pointed question tonight. Let's say you're speaking to someone declaring the gospel and they are obstinate to the gospel. I mean hateful towards God, hateful towards you, hateful for the, towards the truth. How are you going to handle that? What are you going to say? What are you going to do? You're just going to turn around and walk off and leave them like they are? Sometimes that is necessary. I, I Grant it, I understand, but not every time necessarily. Is that how it's going to be? Or are we going to be, are we going to, are we going to understand that we need to, and straightforward, just let them know from the Scriptures, this is the reality of the truth, and this is where you are. And I only tell this because I do care, because I am a steward of the gospel, and God has redeemed me, and I know if he's redeemed me, then there's no one else beyond his reach of redemption. What if you have someone who you're talking to, and then they say, well, I want to know more. Do you have anything more to give? Are you able to take any more truth to them than what you just said in talking about the burial, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Are you able to help them to see from Scripture the beauty of Christ and who He is and what He's done? And to do so in a merciful manner. This is the call. Let us have discernment. Let us be bold in the gospel. And let us submit to the Lord that we might have compassion and mercy on those who need compassion and that we might have boldness in candor and straightforwardness with those who are obstinate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. So Jude just lays it out right here at the end of this, talking about all these wicked men and then those who are in unbelief and then also those who have the Spirit. And then he states, and if some have compassion, some have mercy, because they are wavering in the, in the faith, or not in the faith, wavering in doubt concerning faith. And then also... Others say with fear, pulling out. The snatching out, this has to do again with that sense of urgency and that sense of, of, of um, intense engagement. 
See the difference here? That's what I really want you to see, what Jude is saying, that we understand. Let me, say, let me rephrase it and word it like this. So here you have Jude saying compassion, of some having compassion, right? In some, you're demonstrating mercy, and that's how you're ministering to them in the truth, not compromising truth, boldly in the truth, but yet in a merciful manner. While, so it's less intense in that respect. While on the other hand, snatching them out. Yanking them out. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This is intense. And if you've proclaimed the gospel to many people at all, then you've experienced both types of people here that are in unbelief. I've talked with people that are very obstinate to the gospel. Don't want to hear, don't talk to me, don't tell me. And then I've talked with people that are very interested in the gospel. At least they seem to be or appear to be, and they want to know. So how do we deal with them? Well, Jude's explaining this is how it is. So we are to be prepared. And remember, don't lose sight. You say, why is this in the middle or the end of Jude's letter nearing the end? There's only two other verses left after these two that we just read tonight. Why does he deal with this? Because we are to earnestly contend for the faith. That is the entire message here of Jude. So if we are going to earnestly contend for the faith, does, do you not think it requires that we have discernment of the Spirit, of the very one who has brought us into this faith, that we might minister this faith to others? Having discernment to effectively contend for the faith. There are those who are obstinate to the gospel of Jesus Christ. There are haters and despisers of God and all those who love God and all things of God. And then there are those who are just ignorant and don't know. They are just spiritually blind in the sense that that no one's ever even spoken to them about the gospel of Jesus Christ. No one's ever told them. And then there are those who, if they do hear, or even if they've heard before, there's a great interest in them. Now, I'm not saying they're born again or that they even will be. But I do believe when there's a spiritual interest that God has put that there. Because men naturally have that. Not if there's a genuine spiritual interest towards the things of God and the truth of God, that is. And so let us have discernment. Let us be cautious. Let us be bold. Let us, let us not neglect the gospel of Jesus Christ and the stewardship of the gospel of Jesus Christ as his believers, as his ambassadors. But let us, with discernment, Deal with men where they are remembering that we were once in the same unbelief. And now we've been redeemed. And it is merciful to declare and proclaim the gospel to any man, but may we have discernment in how to deal with people where they are. I was talking to a lady today unrelated to the matter of the faith and spiritual matters in this regard, but she made a statement that was of extreme wisdom. And the statement was dealing with her own child who has special needs, and she was saying that as a parent whose child is now an older teenager, but she was telling me that she had to learn to not attempt to bring... We're talking about special needs here, okay? We're not talking about the average child 
and spoiling a child. That's not what we're discussing. This this girl is it, her daughter is is has some real needs, and so um, physically speaking, and so she said, I had to learn to try to deal with her in her world, not try to bring her into my world. And if you think about that, there's great wisdom in that, in that situation because it's not about trying to get this child to function as you do where you are when they're not physically capable of doing so, but it's about trying to help where they are at at that time. And I was thinking as well along the lines of this, if we're not careful, we'll try to do the same thing concerning the gospel and ministry and saying, okay, you need to come over here. And you need, No, we need to minister where they are in unbelief with the desire that God will use that to bring them to Christ in faith and, and belief, but not try to get them where we are right now, but rather minister to them where they are right now. And here's the thing. An unbeliever cannot relate to the believer, but every believer can relate to the unbeliever because we have been there. Let's pray. Father, Thank you again for your word and for the opportunity.